0: The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show was pre-recorded earlier this week. The Everyday Wealth Radio Show and podcast are produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky and Soledad O'Brien. Ms. Chatsky and Ms. O'Brien are not employees or clients of the firm. They receive fixed cash compensation for acting as hosts and related activities and therefore have an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com slash everyday-wealth. The twenty 2020- top 100 independent advisory firm ranking issued by barons is qualitative and quantitative including assets managed revenue generated regulatory records staffing levels and diversity technology spending and succession planning firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating awarded september 2021 based on data within a 12-month period investor experience and returns are not considered at the intersection of life and money This is Everyday Wealth with award winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and personal finance expert Gene Chatsky. Presented by Edelman Financial Engines. Ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky and Soledad O'Brien.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Jean Chatsky, And
2: I'm Soledad O'Brien, and you are listening to Everyday Wealth, sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. It's that time of year where many of us, uh, me included, are getting ready to send our kids back to college or to college for the first time, which means you're running to stores. And I think we tick off through all these items that we think are really important, but... I'm always amazed at what we forget. And often what we forget are those things around estate planning. Weirdly, for college kids, Mm -hmm. what are those important documents that you actually have to get done before your kids head back to college? This is something that I've just started doing because one of our conversations, Gene, a few weeks ago, we talked about all the ways you can lose access uh, in an emergency to your kids, God forbid, should something happen if they're over the age of 18, you actually could have huge, huge problems. So we're going to talk about that. Last week, we settled on describing the economy as being recession-ish. And recession-ish felt pretty accurate, given some of the more positive economic indicators other than just GDP growth. We're going to be talking with William Lee, who's an economist with the Milken Institute, about whether or not that new term-ish still applies, why it applies, how he would describe it. And we also could be at a point, Gene, we, we might have to call
1: the markets bear-ish <laughs> as opposed to straight up bear. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to deal with the question, what happens when the market comes back? In fact, things are moving so quickly that bear-ish may be an overstatement, at least when it comes to the NASDAQ, which has been flirting with a new bull market. The week started with the S&P opening at 41.45. That's the result of a big rebound that happened in July. If you run the numbers, what you get is the fact that we opened the week down about 13% from its peak, not the 20% that would qualify as a traditional bear market. As Soledad mentioned, this show is sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines, and every week we're guided By Wealth Planners from EFE. And I think that this clawback is exactly why you want to be working with a professional. If you want to make sure that your financial plan is, say, built to weather all of the different things that we're going through right now, inflation and bearish markets and Recessions, whatever we want to call them, it is just time to pick up the phone and call 833 Plan EFE. You can also find planners at planefe.com.
2: In early June, John McCafferty, a wealth planner with Edelman Financial Engines, was on the show and we asked him point blank, you know, is now the time to go to cash? Well, I mean, clearly the last few weeks have have proven pretty much why you need to have someone help you. You need a planner to help you stay on track, especially if things are going crazy. If you'd sold everything, if you'd moved to cash when the market was at its low, which was mid-June, you would have missed the 13 percent bounce that's happened in the last six weeks. Before we get to John, though, we're going to talk a little bit more around some of those finer nuances around inflation and the market. So, Gene, why don't you jump right into the numbers for us?
1: Absolutely. So, in July, inflation slowed a bit. The consumer price index climbed 8.5%, 8.5% over the past year. That is a slight easing from the 9.1% rate that we saw in June. And this was due partly to falling gas and energy prices. Just to put it in perspective, we've actually seen gas prices fall every day for the last 50, which has brought some relief at the pump. We also look at what's called core CPI and core CPI or core inflation excludes those volatile food and energy prices. It held steady at 5.9% over a year ago. It climbed 0.3% month over month, which is down pretty substantially from the 0.7% that we saw in June. And all of this All of this comes on top of the jobs number that we got a week ago Friday that was surprisingly strong. We added 528,000 jobs to the economy in July, more than double estimates. It was the 19th consecutive month of job growth. The markets, of course, they didn't like this good news at all. Why? Because when the economy is running this hot jobs wise, the Federal Reserve will keep interest rate hikes coming. But Soledad, this is a dance. The Fed wants to cool inflation and slow the economy, but not enough to tip us into recession. And even though the top line CPI slowed, they want to see a slowdown in core inflation before they take a step back from the increases. We're not all feeling this equally. We're feeling it very differently, whether we own a home, whether we've got consumer debt, whether we are investors or not. And so I think that's sort of the lens that we want to apply here. So Jean, let's bring in John McCafferty, uh, John, welcome back. Nice to see you. Jean
2: Just a moment ago was giving uh, the inflation numbers for uh, July, and as she mentioned, um, you know markets are clawing their way back, something you had said back in June you thought uh, that was going to happen. What's especially interesting, I think, is that it's actually not really driven by some big you know piece of financial news.
3: That's right. And thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure to see you both. As we make our way through the economic cycle, um, you know there are periods where the markets are higher, there's lower, and this is why we talk to people about maintaining a long-term perspective so that you don't miss out on these recoveries. And you're right. I mean, it might have been the, the recent clawback is possibly more of an emotional reaction rather than a data-based reaction.
2: But here, here's my question. I, I get that there's core inflation and then there's inflation, but why do they tease them out? Like, why would you measure something and not include food and not include energy.
3: Those two components tend to be a lot more volatile than the rest of the goods and services in the basket. Generally, policymakers, economists, they might opt to use headline inflation, which includes energy and food for maybe long-term comparisons of, say, wages, wealth, rates of return, Social Security payments, whereas core inflation is a much better use for a a short-term assessment of what's going on. It's less volatile because it doesn't include food or energy.
1: You know, Soledad, how we often talk about how we like to control the things that we can control – both food and energy, they're historically more sensitive to geopolitical events and swings in supply and demand. And if you look at what's going on right now, we've got war, right? We've got extreme weather. We've got natural disasters. We've got still the effects of the global pandemic on the supply chain. All of these events have had a dramatic impact on food prices and energy prices. So by factoring them out, Washington and, and other governments, I guess, get a get a better sense of what's really going on.
2: All that long list, though, is also known as life. And it seems crazy to me. I, I get that you're saying it's it's volatile. But at the same time, there seems to be something, I don't have a better word than a little bit crazy of removing things that people very much feel are indicators of inflation, right? If you're going to take food and you're going to take energy out,
3: That's a great point. And I think people struggle with that. That tends to be what we consume the most of is food and energy. It's like, well, wait a second. Why wouldn't you include that number? It can seem disingenuous when that's what we spend a lot of our money on. And yet you have a policymaker saying, no, 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 we're not going to use that number. And you might be thinking, well, of course you're going to use the lower number. It makes you look better. The operative word here is volatility. And we're seeing it now where maybe three or four months ago, energy was surging and it's still higher. Uh, but you know, right now, the average price of a gallon of gas is down about 17% from the prior month. So things are coming down. And when you're trying to make a decision based upon something that, that is incredibly volatile, it increases errors. An example I'll give you is with our portfolios here at Edelman Financial Engines. If we rebalanced your portfolio every time the market went up or down 1%, we'd be trading nonstop. And what that leads to, at least if you go on historical data is inferior outcomes. And I believe the same mindset applies to why policymakers, why economists prefer to use core inflation rather than headline. It's because they can't be reactive to something that tends to be wildly volatile. And the same mindset applies to the advice we offer our clients when we talk about staying in the market.
2: When we come back, I want to talk, John, about what your clients think when they come in. What kinds of things do you deal with and what kind of advice are you giving clients at this moment? Gene Chatskin, I will continue right here on Everyday Wealth.
4: Is your retirement withdrawal strategy built for a looming recession? Do you know which accounts you should draw from first? What are common pitfalls? How can you minimize your tax bite? I'm Isabel Barrow, Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner and co-host here on Everyday Wealth. I invite you, our listeners, to join Edelman Financial Engines on Tuesday, August 16th at 2 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern for our timely virtual event, Recession and Your Retirement Withdrawal Strategy. You can register for free at planefe.com. We'll look at financial pitfalls to avoid and how to help make sure your financial plan is built to last. Whether it's sequence of withdrawals, when to start taking Social Security, or staying diversified, We'll help you understand the steps you can take to make sure your financial plan can work for you. Don't miss this important virtual event. Join us for Recession and Your Retirement Withdrawal Strategy on Tuesday, August 16th at 2 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern. There's no cost to attend and no obligation. Register now at planEFE.com. That's planEFE.com. Now back to the show. Hey, everybody. I'm Soledad O'Brien here
2: with Gene Chatsky, and we're continuing our conversation on the different types of inflation with Edelman Financial Engine's wealth planner, John McCafferty. John, nice to have you with us. You were walking us through a moment ago of the different types of inflation, headline inflation, core inflation. Talk to me a little bit about how you walk people through what is pretty complicated, I guess, because it's really very different measures.
3: My job, my role is to really try to simplify these things, and really get people to focus on their personal economies. And the question I've asked my clients is: Has your lifestyle been compromised in any way because of what's going on out there? What I've been telling my clients is: This is really just the process of getting back to normal. Um, I'm not here to change the definition of a recession, but I've I've recommended my clients in this environment because it's so different. Maybe consider. Replacing the word recession with normalization. Because remember, last year, the United States economy expanded by about 6%. We haven't done that since Lyndon Johnson was in office. So this is incredibly rare. And I would argue when the United States economy expands by 6%, we're only going in one direction from there, and that is down. At the same time, we're at a 50-year low for unemployment. That's not normal. What's more typical historically in the United States is an unemployment rate of 5%. This is how I help my clients. If you just run the numbers, how many more people would need to lose their jobs just to get back to normal? About 5.5 million. So people I'm speaking with, people I'm working with have a plan. And yes, they have been frustrated with the ups and downs of the market. It just speaks to having an advisor having a plan, who's been in the trenches, who's seen things like this in the past, and who's going to give you consistent advice so that you don't make exaggerated moves one way or the other.
1: That is a great way of framing it, John.
3: I think the best way I can help protect you is getting you to pay closer attention to your personal economy. Exactly how do you spend your money? Literally break it down to, all right, how much do you spend at the grocery store? How much do you spend at the gas station? Is it really that large a percentage of your total expenses? And that way you actually know. And I've done that with my clients. And I've had that conversation where we look at what's going on in their lives, specifically with them, and we dissect or we we separate the fact that, you know, in the media it seems people are struggling. But then we take a closer look at their situation and they're fine. That's really, to me, the best way to protect someone.
1: Let's switch gears for just a sec. So last week we talked about how we were feeling recession-ish. The definition here is, and what we're talking about, is that the economy contracted two quarters in a row, and then the jobs numbers that I was talking about at the top of the show came out and blew expectations away, which means the ish is dominating the recession. We are probably not in a recession. We're going to talk with William Lee from the Milken Institute more about all of this. But before we get to him, John, let's talk about the markets. I mean, July was the best month that we have seen so far this year with the Dow up 7%, the S&P up 9 the NASDAQ up 125 I mean, can we expect this to continue or is that not what we should be focused
3: on? I don't think it's what we should be focused on. Um, to, to, to try to predict what's going to happen next in the stock market or the bond market or, or any market is, is almost impossible. I would say it, it is impossible. So this is why we talk about the importance of, of being a long-term investor. Um, maintain your allocation as long as it's suitable for your risk tolerance, for your time horizon, for your goals. That's really what you should be focusing on and try to block out some of the negativity or the uncertainty that's being floated around out there This is why having a plan, a consistent plan, getting consistent advice, and really sticking to that plan as maybe generic as that sounds, that's really what you want to be doing in this environment.
1: Is this a bear market?
3: Well, technically, yes. I mean, the market did correct by 20%, and that meets the definition of a bear market. And we technically have had two quarters of declining GDP, which meets the technical definition of a recession. Yet we're sitting here talking about bear-ish and recession-ish. And I think it just speaks to just the, the combination and the cross-currents of, of what we're walking through right now. With all this volatility, sometimes people can overlook the fact that when stocks go down, that's not really a negative thing. It means they're actually going on sale. And when you work with a planner like myself, one of my colleagues at Edelman Financial Engines, I think we can really offer perspective when it seems the stock market is working against you. And in the long run, it might be doing you a favor and giving you an opportunity to, as they say, buy low and eventually sell high.
1: We we all have our favorite financial writers. Mine is Jason Zweig of the Wall Street Journal. He wrote a column a a month or so ago where he said, if you just took the T out of the word stocks and the prices of socks were falling, we would all be buying up dozens of pairs because we would think about it as being socks on sale. It's the same with stocks. Isn't his metaphor a little off, right?
2: It's more like, no. so Jean, you own a hundred pairs of socks and you spent good money on them you think they're worth a lot. You're hoping to pass them along to your children one day because they're going to build your wealth. Suddenly, all of your socks are worth a lot less. The good news is, seems like there's a sale on socks. The bad news is, the socks you own already may be compromised for your future. You're freaking out and you're going to jog to go see your financial planner because
1: you're not sure where the future is going. I saw that article and I liked it, but come on. Point taken, (laughs) but... If we're thinking of the price at which we purchase something being an indication of its value, you can pick up shares or you have been able to pick up shares of companies that you were not able to buy as inexpensively for for a very long time just because the price has dropped. It's a big sale and
2: you have to look at it like this is an opportunity. And freaking out rarely is helpful when this is going down.
1: In life, freaking out is rarely helpful in life.
3: Very true. Whether it's socks or stocks, you're not the first person or the first generation of people to face a downturn in the market. And thankfully, this one has been, uh, by historical standards, not all that bad. um, what's likely augmenting the pain is what we've talked about before, where you're experiencing that pain at the pump or maybe that pain at the grocery store. But definitely, um, stocks were, and you could argue maybe still are on sale. And there again, if you're a long-term investor, keep doing what you're doing. Keep adding to your 401k. If you have a general investment account and you have some extra cash, invest suitable amounts. I'm not saying unload your cash reserves. Definitely don't do that but add suitable amounts to the market. If you're uncertain, or even if you are certain, and you just want to talk through what you're doing, you can always reach us. Just give us a call, 833-PLAN-EFE, or you can visit us online at planefe.com. We're more than happy to speak with you.
1: There are lots of you out there for sure, right, John? I mean, there are so many people standing by and ready to help.
3: That's right. Our planners have wonderful experience, really. They've been through multiple economic cycles, the highs, the lows.
2: Someone said this a couple of weeks ago, Gene, maybe it was you, which was, if you're not talking to your advisor, like at this moment in time, where it's pretty chaotic, it might be time to find somebody else, right? Like, I just think to try to figure out how to manage what's coming down the pike you know, is a lot. and and I, you know, if you are not talking to somebody, if they are not calling you now, you probably should go find somebody else who wants to answer your questions because I find this stuff extremely complicated,
1: yeah, this is where advisors earn their money a hundred percent, right? When we get into situations like this. and 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 I agree with you that if you're working with somebody who hasn't reached out to you during the last few, Six, eight months of volatility. He's just not North. that
2: into you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when we return, we're going to be talking with William Lee. He is an economist from the Milken Institute, and he believes that we're in for mostly a white collar recession. Just what does that mean? We will ask him. I'm Gene Chatsky with Soledad O'Brien. You're listening to Everyday Wealth.
5: Is your retirement withdrawal strategy built? for a looming recession? Do you know which accounts you should draw from first? What are common pitfalls? How can you minimize your tax bite? I'm Andy Smith, Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner and co-host here on Everyday Wealth. I invite you, our listeners, to join Edelman Financial Engines on Tuesday, August 16th at 2 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern for our timely virtual event, Recession and Your Retirement Withdrawal Strategy. You can register for free at planefe.com and we'll look at financial pitfalls to avoid, how to help make sure that your financial plan is built to last, whether it's sequence of withdrawals, when to start taking social security, staying diversified. We'll help you understand the steps that you can take to make sure that your financial plan can work for you. So don't miss this important virtual event. Join us for Recession and Your Retirement Withdrawal Strategy on Tuesday, August 16th at 2 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern. There's no cost to attend, no obligation. So register now, planEFE.com. That's planEFE.com. And now back to the show. Hi,
1: everyone. I'm Jean Chatsky here with Soledad O'Brien, and you're listening to Everyday Wealth brought to you by Edelman Financial Engines. We started our show today talking about the two different types of inflation, as well as whether we're still in a bear market. We've opted going for bear-ish as our definition, given that we started the week still down about 13 percent. John McCafferty, a wealth planner with Edelman Financial Engines, explained exactly why you don't sell into a down market or why it's not an especially good idea. Taking just the last month as an example, if you had sold right before July, you'd have missed out on gains across the board during the July rally. So if you'd like to be working with a wealth planner like John, who will help protect your financial plan even when necessary from you, you can call 833-PLAN-EFE or visit planefe.com and get in touch with one of over 300 EFE wealth planners across the country.
2: Sometimes, Jean, we're our own worst enemies when it comes to being patient and, and really being thoughtful. We've circled, of course, Jean, back to the true definition of a recession many times, which, as we've said, often uh, two back-to-back quarters of GDP contraction. Last week, we decided to settle on the word recession-ish because I think every day it becomes more and more relevant because while there's obviously this contraction in the economy, other inputs that we've talked about are still strong. I mean, the jobs report, amazing, uh, beating projections by a lot. So it's really why I'm very excited to talk to our guest today. William Lee is the chief economist at the Milken Institute. Mr. Lee, it's so nice to have you. Thanks for talking with us.
6: Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Thank you. Uh, Listen, you, you did an interview with MarketWatch recently, and you you said this recession is predominantly a white-collar recession. Can you start by explaining that to me?
6: It's always dangerous when an economist says, I think there's slight differences this time. And, and let me try to explain, well, this distinction between who gets hurt most by this recession that we're in uh, is really where I'm focusing on. Uh, traditionally, for, for decades now, we've always thought the people who are most vulnerable to a downturn, a recession or, or, or worse, Uh, would be people whose employers view their employees as transactions people. That is, people that they can get rid of quickly and they can hire back quickly if they need to. And traditionally that's been the blue-collar worker, the warehouse worker, the truck driver, uh, people whose relationship with their employer that's based purely on transactions. Uh, but right now, it seems like the labor market has turned considerably post-COVID. The workers most desired and, and in shortest supply are the warehouse workers, the blue collar workers. Whereas on the flip side, in the past, the white collar worker, someone who takes a while to get on board, someone who's uh, got some skills like accounting and and, and other office uh, management skills, they have always thought to be protected because employers were hesitant to get rid of them at, at at a downturn because it took time to reacquire Well, what's happened post-COVID is that a lot of companies have increased their investment in productivity, uh, raised the requirements for the workforce to the point where the low-level white-collar worker, the the data entry person who is doing um, relatively menial office chores, that person has become much more of a transactions person now in the eyes of this company. So what I think is going to happen this time, and the evidence seems to be shouting that way, is... The most desired workers to hang on to during a downturn are the truck drivers, the Amazon warehouse workers, who, by the way, the Amazon warehouse worker today is not just anybody who can drive a forklift, but someone who can actually operate that massive computer panel to handle all that automated equipment getting stuff from one place to another. So you've got a huge shift in that labor force. And what's happened is that um, Chair Powell has talked about, my God, this is such a tight labor market. There are two vacancies for every unemployed person. How many times have you heard that?
1: We've heard it so many times. When we first started talking about the gig economy, we talked about it as if it was going to be just a moment A moment in time. And as the years have gone by, it's become very clear that this is something that has staying power. As you look at this shift in the desirability of blue-collar workers over white-collar workers, is this a trend that you think has legs, or is this just a moment?
6: It's part of the pendulum readjusting itself. The pendulum went too far in one direction. It became for almost for a decade or two, uh, totally undesirable to be a blue-collar worker, a truck driver, or in, in one of the trade crafts. Uh, and so we have a shortage of people there, but the demand has grown, and it's grown in a much more sophisticated way. So I think th- this shift is something that's permanent and will be much more long-lasting and will continue to have very profound changes in... Uh, the The increased vulnerability of certain occupations as they become more commoditized and 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 pushed out to the gig economy, and others will be brought into that relationship kind of employment uh, that we saw in the past that was exclusively white collar workers.
2: We're talking to William Lee. he's the chief economist at the Milken Institute, and I Coined the term recession ish um, because it always felt to me that we were always kind of hedging and hawing and humming around where we were exactly. Do you think that that is, uh, is, is accurate? And, and where do you think it, it goes? Uh, it, I mean, it seems like there's so much contradiction in all of these various inputs that we get to figure out where the economy really is, but it feels like it's all over
6: the place. How do you see it? Soledad, I love your term recession ish. Right now, uh, the Federal Reserve is is worried that we have way too high inflation that has spread into those persistent core sectors like rents and medical care and, and other me- like mechanical services like automotive services. Those have been growing and even with the latest report continue to grow. And what the Federal Reserve is trying to do is to say, we are going to nail inflation back down to 2% and do whatever it takes. And they, they need to have the credibility to do that. And so whether or not we, the recession enters into the, their calculus or not is something that um, uh, they will consider because they do have deal mandate, maximum employment and price stability. But the degree to which they worry about maximum employment uh, is less now because the labor market numbers seem incredibly good. But the ish comment that you made is very relevant here because what matters is how people react. And consumers right now are saying, my budgets are stretched. I can't spend as much as I want to. In fact, I have to shift my spending onto the necessities of life, like gasoline and food and, and housing. That's where we're going to get the slowdown that will make the ish much more in the direction of downturn and, and a traditional recession. And that's what the Fed is going to be on the watch for.
1: So where do we go from here? Are we headed into a, a recession that's more severe? Do you think watching the Fed that they're going to be successful in in wrestling this to some sort of a softer, soft-ish landing?
6: Well, well Gene, it's going to be a race between how fast inflation comes down and and how many layoffs have to be induced in order to let that happen and to reassure the Fed the, the downturn in inflation will be permanent and lasting? And and that is a question that no one can answer because quite frankly, a lot of it depends on where the global supply chain is. Uh to what extent will we be able to get goods and services on track again? And right now I don't have high hopes for that, and that's why a lot of people are betting on the onshoring of supply chains to try to have more security and safety. Uh, and soundness in those supply chains.
1: Whether or not we have a full-blown recession now, we will have one eventually. So how do consumers make sure that they are prepared, or at least as prepared as we can be?
6: The only way to survive a recession is to have financial buffers. So the trick is to be literate enough about our financial world to know that you not only have to save money, but you know how to put it to work in a way that would best serve you uh, in an emergency or in times that are very difficult, especially when layoffs start to accumulate.
2: William Lee, you make a great point, which is, information and access to information is absolutely key. And there are great resources, right? As as you have mentioned, Milken Institute itself has lots of resources to help people who are trying to become more financially literate. And of course, Edelman Financial Engines has hundreds of wealth planners if you just feel like you need someone to walk you through. So William Lee, the chief economist at the Milken Institute, nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us.
6: Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here.
1: Thank you, William. Is your retirement withdrawal strategy built for a looming recession? Do you know which accounts to draw from first? What are the common pitfalls? How can you minimize your tax bite? Join Edelman Financial Engines on Tuesday, August 16th at 2 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern for a timely virtual event, Recession and Your Retirement Withdrawal Strategy. You can register for free at planefe.com. They'll look for financial pitfalls to avoid and how to help make sure your financial plan is built to last. Whether it's sequence of withdrawals, whether to start taking Social Security or stay diversified, they'll help you understand the specific steps that you can take to make sure your financial plan is working for you. Join Edelman Financial Engines for recession and your retirement withdrawal strategy on Tuesday, August 16th at 2 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern. There's no cost to attend and no obligation. So register now at planEFE.com. That's planEFE.com
2: everybody. I'm Soledad O'Brien here with Jean Chatsky, and we are turning the corner on summer. How sad is it to say that? Very soon, freshman college students will be heading to college for the first time. Um, today, actually, I take my, well, I have twins, but he's technically the younger twin, school shopping because there's a bunch of stuff we have to get before he leaves home. I have already done like towels and sheets and now we're going to finish the whole clothing thing you know get all that done but there's actually a list around your estate planning, really for your kid. You know, most of the time we think of the to-do list where dorm room supplies for school and we don't think about these things that are really, really essential. So we've asked Erin Smith to join us. She's the director of estate planning with Edelman Financial Engines and she has a great advice for the parents of college students who might be going off for the very first time, but not even necessarily the first time because I think if anybody missed this the first time around... I now have a junior and a senior. And it's Erin's advice that has really helped me think about how to protect them legally and otherwise through estate planning.
1: And I think, Soledad, this is relatively new. So my youngest child is 25, which means she graduated from college four years ago. These documents that Erin is going to walk us through I did not do this. I, I did not even think about doing this. And so the fact that we're able to talk about how important it is to have these things right now, I think is, is, is terrific. Erin, welcome back to the show. We're really glad to have you
7: here. Oh, it's, it's my delight to be back.
1: Can you walk our listeners through what they should be doing if they have kids heading off to college in the fall? Like, What specific documents do they need?
7: So, there are three really important documents that all adult age college students need. So, they themselves need a durable power of attorney. They need a power of attorney for healthcare. This is sometimes called an advanced directive, and it's sometimes called a healthcare proxy. And then they also need a HIPAA authorization because they are a legal adult. And because they're a legal adult, mom and dad. Don't have the ability to make financial decisions or healthcare decisions for their adult child, even if they're in college. We started having this conversation
2: with my daughters, who are now mm, almost 20 and 21. In our conversation, Aaron, a while back, it was the first time I thought about like, oh my gosh, if something happens while they're at school, who knows what could happen if you're not physically there? So if you don't mind, I'd love to walk through those three items and explain to us why they're so important. So start with the durable power of attorney. Why is it so important?
7: So durable power of attorney is a document where your college student is going to be appointing another person to make non-healthcare decisions on their behalf. These are things like banking transactions, signing income tax returns, entering into or canceling apartment leases, and even something like canceling a streaming service. So it's everything other than healthcare. And this is a really important document because in the absence of an agent named under a durable power of attorney, there's no one who has authority to act for your college student. And so if your college student becomes unable to make these non-healthcare decisions for himself, you know, say he's an accident, there's no one who can make these decisions. And so mom or dad are going to have to petition the court to be appointed as a guardian. And this is an expensive and it's a time-consuming process that you want to avoid whenever you can. I had sort of thought that, well,
2: I'm I'm the mom. Someone's going to call you and say, "Hey, my goodness, something has happened," you know, and I, it would all just sort of fall right back onto the parents. But that, in fact, is not the case.
7: It's not the case with healthcare decision making, or even non-healthcare decision making.
1: So you need a, a person to make those decisions for healthcare as well, right? If your child is in that accident, ends up in the hospital. They are unable to to decide what they want to do. You have to be appointed to be that person for them. The third item is the HIPAA authorization. I actually think I did do this for my kids when they went off to school because I think the school required it. Is is this the most common of these forms? And what does
7: it do? So the HIPAA authorization is in tandem with your health care power of attorney. So your healthcare power of attorney is when the child is designating a person to make healthcare decisions for them if they're not able to. But the HIPAA authorization is where the adult child is allowing mom or dad access to their medical information. Because you would think if you were a healthcare representative making healthcare decisions for your child, that you would also automatically have access to his medical records, and that's not the case. So these are two documents that are separate, but they work in tandem together. We're talking to Erin Smith. She's
2: the director of estate planning at Edelman Financial Engine. So as you guys know, because I blather on about it all the time, I'm in the process of finishing up my estate plan. actually takes quite a while to, to work through it. And I'm curious, Erin, I know that you work on a team with other estate planning attorneys in support of your clients. Is that typical? Is that how it usually works to most financial advisors? have attorneys on their team that they can reach out to to connect their clients to?
7: We approach it differently with our clients. So we have a state attorneys in-house that are there for, for guidance. I am one of those. And we also have a support team behind us. So we don't give legal advice, but we are happy to provide education um, to both parents and to adult children. And so we sit down with clients and with our planner and we talk through the process and we can even give you a referral out to an estate planning attorney if you need one. And we'll sit down together with you and your estate planning attorney. Very importantly, we will review all of the documents that your attorney produces and sends to you just to make sure that everything's in check. It's just a second set of eyes um, and that everything that is in your estate plan is based on your wishes as you've expressed those to us. So as we've had conversations with you and, and your planner, we know what your wishes are and we can just have a second set of eyes and make sure that your documents reflect that. And really importantly, this isn't something that's reserved for clients with you know $10 million invested with us. This is just part of being an EFE client. Erin,
1: this is why we wanted you to come back on. If parents are not thinking about this until they actually need it, it is much, much, much too late and you've just made what is already a stressful situation much worse. So
7: just a nudge uh, for all of you who are listening to take care of this. Certainly having the conversation with your child before he goes off to school or she goes off to school as if something happens to you, do you want us making health care decisions for you? Um, you know, if maybe mom and dad are divorced, which parent would you like to make health care decisions for you? Do you want it to be mom or dad? Because it can get a little complicated if it's both. Um, same thing with the non-health care decisions. You know, we've kind of been talking about college students But these documents, this durable power of attorney, the healthcare proxy, and the HIPAA authorization, this applies to all young adults, whether they're in college or not. So this is really for anyone over the age of 18.
1: And Erin, it's also great that that the clients that you work with Get advised on these circumstances and the documents that they should have, which is one more reason to call your own advisor if you do have somebody that you're working with that you like. But if your advisor hasn't mentioned this to you, it may be time to look for somebody else. And if that's the case, you can give the folks at Edelman Financial Engines a call at 833-PLAN-EFE or visit plan efe. Dot com. Aaron, thank you so much for being with us today and, and giving us a little jolt of reality.
7: You are very welcome. It was my pleasure. And that's our show for today. A big
2: thank you to Aaron Smith and to John McCaffrey, of course, and William Lee for joining us. If you've got a question or a topic that you'd like us to discuss, we'd love to talk to you on the air. Just visit everydaywealth.com and submit your question. And together with an EFE Wealth Planner, we'll talk with you about potential solutions, all very personal to you.
1: If you want to catch a show that you missed, you can always listen to the podcast. Oftentimes, the podcast actually has has a full interview with our guests that we aren't able to air on the radio due to time constraints. You can download our podcast at everydaywealth.com or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next time.
0: Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien and Gene Chatsky is sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. Listen in each week to hear fresh and compelling insights and strategies to help you elevate your financial potential. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com. Find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.